Welcome to Word of Truth. This is Doug Presley. It is 5, which is May 11th, 2022, and we're ready to begin our worship service this evening. Let's have prayer, and then we'll begin. Thank you, Father. We're glad to be here this evening. We thank you for life, health, and strength. We thank you for preserving your word for us. I'm just amazed at all of the changes that life has thrown at the word and you have been consistent and faithful to us so we thank you for those who have joined and those who will be joining we pray for word is true wherever it may be this evening and we pray for the church universal where, where whatever nation they're in father they're your children they're our brothers and sisters as well father as we open your word we ask for wisdom we ask that you teach us, give us the knowledge of the verse that we're about to approach this evening. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. Amen. So, so we are, as you know, we're in the book of Romans, chapter 11, and we're going to be focused in on a classic verse. I call it classic because... It is one of those verses that is not just a verse, but it is also a principle. And we'll get to what that means and why we say such things. Romans 11.6. So we're going to get there. And um, just to note, we, uh, we have switched up a little bit. So if we have some time at the end, which we probably should this evening, we will have a short Q&A session. So if you have some questions or thoughts, we'd love to hear what, what you're thinking uh, about anything. It doesn't have to be about Romans 11.6, but y it's your call. So we're, we'll take that time a little later. But as it is, we'll get started right in. we got a few things to cover. Uh, Romans 11.6. Let's dig in. Now, you should have notes. It reads... And if by grace, then it cannot be based on works. If it were, grace would no longer be grace. Sometimes we are in, uh, when we are in desperate need of something, it consumes us. We cannot think of anything else at the moment. Sometimes when we get the solution, it is so perfect, we forget what the challenge was in the first place. The answer to our dilemma may have been there all the time, or it came from a place where we didn't expect. This scenario reminds me of answered prayer. Israel eagerly sought for God's approval, but did so in all the wrong ways. When God's answer came, it was dismissed as too easy, too simple. Their way of achieving their goal was satisfying to them, but they did not consider if it was adequate for God. So as we think about Israel and the, the journey we've been on in Romans 11, this has been Paul getting to the bottom of why they failed in the first place and how we as the church can learn from that. 
how we don't want to make the same mistakes they made. We don't want to go down the road that they went down. We want to be able to look at their failure, understand where they failed, and now use that information so that we can succeed. So we're going to break this verse down, and hopefully it tells us a lot about grace and helps us understand the nature of salvation and God's calling, and that's what we're going to deal with. So this first point is, in and if, by grace. So our verse must follow the context uh, of, uh, for our understanding. So when, when I say that, we have to look at, just to make sure, if we read, uh, I'm just not going to go back that far, but we'll just go back to verse 4. Uh, and what was God's answer to him? To him? This is Romans 11.4. I have reserved for myself 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. That's, and then five, so too at the present time there is a remnant chosen by grace. In our verse, and if by grace, then it cannot be based on works. If it were grace, would no longer be grace. So this part here, and if by grace, we must connect it to the previous. So, at, so too, at the present time, there is a remnant. A remnant is the small portion of, of the whole. So, chosen by grace. Now, who's this remnant? Now, Paul is, he references himself in this in Romans 11.1. 1. Uh, so, that's, that's go, that goes by our, our next point. But the point is that Paul is saying that he's in the church now. So, while he was called to be an Israelite in the tribe of Benjamin, the, the, the new dispensation changed, and now he's in the church. He understands that, but he's appealing to those who were in Israel to let them know that, hey, you're not, God hasn't forgotten you. He, he, isn't, he hasn't left you in between a rock and a hard place here. You can accept the calling that he has chosen for you, which is to be in the church. Uh, Paul says, I did it. I'm, I was, a, he, I was a, a, from the tri a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. I, I did it, so it's okay. Don't feel like you've been left out. God has a plan. So that's the thought. We, we want to keep with the context to make sure that when we say, uh, and if by grace, that we know what is by grace, and that is the calling. So we'll, we'll get to that more as we go. Point B, chosen by grace. So it refers to those Jewish believers in this age who believed in Christ and are now part of the church. And then I just referenced uh, Romans 11.1. 1. So we should know that even though Paul is making that point, he knows that in Christ there is no Jew or Gentile, but he's helping the people who have Jewish culture and descent. He's helping them understand that in it, that God still has a plan for their lives. They think, oh well, if God is now called the church. Well, what's going to happen to Israel? You know, and this was the whole point. So no, Paul says I'm part of the church. When in Romans eleven one. He tells you he's, it all worked for him just fine. 
So Israel's objections to God calling the church are not valid. That's what Paul is saying. So point C, Paul calling, his calling is by grace where he is now in the church. It is an example of the fact that God has not abandoned Israel. And I just wanted to make sure we understood that point, that um, Israel feels left out. They feel uh, as though God did not keep his word to them. Not so. Not so. So Ephesians 3, 7, and 8, <clears throat> Paul makes this point. Because when Paul says it is by grace, I know we naturally want to think about salvation. But really, he's not talking about salvation in this passage. He's talking about God's calling. And Paul is referencing his calling by grace. So Ephesians 3, 7, and 8, and we'll just look at this quickly, uh, just so we can establish that he is talking about his calling by grace. So 3, 7, and 8 says, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. So there it is, right there in 7. He says, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace. So the calling that Paul received, the position that he has in the church, is by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. So no, that's not a Pharisee in, in Israel. It's a new calling. But Paul has completely embraced that new calling. He, he did not uh, go um, without Paul's appreciation, even though it's different from what Paul would have thought. Paul is now an apostle, and then he is going to the Gentiles to tell them about these unsearchable riches in Christ, uh, or boundless, as it says here. So that's one scripture. And then the other one, 1 Corinthians 15, 15, and here, 8, and 8 through 10. Let's look at that. So it's, well, we start at 7. Then he appears, this is about the resurrection, by the way. Then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared also to me. He appeared to me also as one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles, and do not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church. But here he is in verse 10. But by the grace of of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. So when we say by grace, and if by grace, Paul is talking about his calling, not necessarily salvation. <clears throat> I know you got to get to salvation before you get to the calling. Right, because you got to be saved before you can answer your call to be in the church. There's two things there that are going on. It's like we discovered that last week, where um, it says that we were not only were we saved, but we were raised up with Christ and seated in the heavenly realm. So it's our, all of that calling part, where we sit, our position in Christ. It happens 
after we're saved, what God does. And that's kind of a simultaneous work, but it happens after we believe in Christ. We are baptized by the Spirit, which places us into the body of Christ. So this is important for us to know. So those, so when we say, and if by grace, we're talking about Paul's calling. That's what's important to see here. Point D, Paul respects the Father's plan and calling for the church, whereas Israel did not, and knows that once we depart, meaning by the rapture, God will continue to work with Israel. And just to read, that did, well, we didn't get to this verse yet, but toward the end of Romans, Romans 11, 25 and 26, right? So this is what Paul says. I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be conceited. We'll get to why the church could be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of Gentiles come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob. This is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. So Israel has a future. Now this tells us about the long-suffering and patience of God. If it was us, and we were God, and Israel did that. They did all the things that Israel... We would have cast them away from as far as the east is from the west. We would have cast Israel into the depths of the sea. We would not have the patience that God has. God has more patience than Job at this point with Israel. And we should know how great that is when we think about it, because... We need that patience, all of us. Uh, we can be trifling. We could be, oftentimes, we know better, and still we have bumps in the road in our spiritual life. It's, just because we know things does not mean we have the power to execute them. So we fail. And we have to admit, I mean, one thing is we look at Israel and we saw all the failures. If we sit back and say, how terrible they were. We would never do such things. That would not be a good place to be. I would say we need to be careful. Take heed, those who think they stand, lest they fall. So this, this is important for us to not only recognize what the solution is, but recognize their failure and recognize that God is patient. God's not going to cast Israel away because of all that they did. We read those verses last week. And certainly he's not going to cast us away because of whatever failures we may have. God has a plan, and he will see that through. We're part of it, and that's important to him. So yes, he, he anticipates that we're going to vacillate. He anticipates that we're not going to be 100% all the time. And so that part of when looking at Israel and their failure, we should see some parallels with our own lives, all of us. So let's, back to the, to the notes here. This is point E in our notes. The only choice we have is to believe or not to believe. Now, when we think about this, I'm just breaking it down because 
reason why, theologically speaking, a lot of people think from what we might call a Calvinist perspective. What, what do I mean by that? That just means that they believe that they don't understand the calling part, but they think that God chose us to be saved, meaning he chose us to be uh, for our salvation from eternity past. When it says he chose us in him before the creation of God, they think that that is he chose us to be saved. So that means we don't have a choice in the matter. Uh, essentially, it breaks down that way. Well, what choices do we really have? The only choice we have is to believe or not to believe. But that is once we get our feet on the ground, once we get the understanding of where the Holy Spirit has come and told us what the gospel is, and we know what the issues are, that we have that choice to make. Do we believe in Christ? Or do we refuse to believe in Christ? It's, now that choice is certainly within our um, understanding and our freedom. We have the freedom to make that choice. So when I look at the scriptures that say that, we cannot deny that our salvation is within our own hands. Uh, so John three sixteen through 18, you probably have heard this. I just want you to look at it from this perspective. 16 through 18 says, For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. The world was already condemned in Adam. 18, here it is. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. So there, this is a choice that we have. Let's look at the other side of it. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already. And why? Because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. So it looks like to me from John 3, 16 through 18 that the responsibility for us when it comes to salvation is upon us. We have the responsibility. And then if we go to verse 36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. Now that's, that's the choice that we have to make. Right? It's important for us that we know that as part of uh, the responsibility that God gives us when we come into this world. I mean, he has to make known to us the gospel, but once that is clear to us, we have a choice to make. So Revelation 22, 17, I thought, I thought to give this verse as well. It says, the spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty let the one who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life. So there you have it. It's our choice to whether we choose to come and believe in Christ and take the water of life, which is free. It's a free gift. It doesn't cost us anything but to believe. And so 
this is where I, I always like to just emphasize that even though we think about this, we have a responsibility, and that is to choose to believe in Jesus Christ. So we know that salvation is by grace, but this calling, let's go to point E in our notes. The only choice we have is to believe or not to believe. That's, oh, sorry, we, we covered that. Point F is we do not have the right to choose our destiny. This is illustrated by God's in, uh, numerous times in God's choosing of Israel. So, why? So here, on the one hand, you could say, "Well, we it is our choice to believe in Christ." And I gave you just three or four scriptures just to let you know: yes, God expects you to make a choice when it comes to salvation. But when it comes to our destiny, our choosing, our calling, we do not have the right to choose that. That is not within our purview. This is something that God has chosen for us. Now, this is, I know it sounds a little bit like, well, he forced me into this. Well, no, you didn't. Salvation is the only choice we have, right? Like Shakespeare said it, to be or not to be. I say it, to believe or not to believe. That is the question for all of us. But when it comes to our the fact that, and what do we mean by our calling? Why do, why do we not have a choice? Well, if, if God wanted you to be a part of Israel, if that was the destiny that he chose for you, then you wouldn't have a choice in that matter. You could not have been born with the genes of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But you could choose. God did give people the right to choose to be a convert of Judaism. However, but that's different. But when it came to God creating the nation Israel, it came through only God's choices. So here, go back. So here, Romans, God illustrates this from Romans 9, 10 through 16. So here it is. So it says... Um, not only that, and this is one illustration, the whole nine deals with this thought. This is what I meant by numerous times. So the whole, here it is, not only that, but Rebecca, Rebecca's children were conceived at the same time by our father Isaac. So it's Abraham, Isaac, and Isaac and Rebecca had twins. Yet before the twins were born, or had done anything good or bad in order that God's purpose and election might stand. And here it is, not by works, but by him who calls. She was told the older will serve the younger. Just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. What then shall we say? Is God unjust? Not at all. For Moses says, for he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So notice, this is God's choice in the matter. Right? From Romans 9, 10 through 15, this is God's choosing Jacob over Esau. Why did he do it? You could ask that question. Why did God choose Esau? Jacob over Esau. Question, the answer, only answer to that question is because he wanted to. It was his sovereign right to do it. And he did it. 
None, Israel didn't complain about that. They didn't say, "Well, why did you, why did you choose Jacob? Why did you choose Isaac over Ishmael? Why did you?" No, it was God's sovereign choice to do that, and He did it. It's exactly how it all panned out. Um, and Paul's teaching Israel this. Actually, Israel should know this, but he's so he's reminding them that this is the case. So when when God turns and chooses the church, don't get in the way of that and say, "Hey, I'm, I don't agree." That'd be like God, you telling God, uh, "No, God, you shouldn't be choosing uh, Jacob. You should be choosing Esau." God says, "No, I'm not. this is my choice here, and I'm doing it the way I want." And it doesn't have anything to do with the twins. It doesn't have any. It has to do with my choice. That's an important verse, because what we're seeing is is that God's calling is by grace. It, it is not by our works. Like that's something we should should have the thought and make sure that we don't take any responsibility in that, because God chose us. All we did is show up. On the, on the scene for when it came to believing in Christ. That was the only choice we had to make. Point G, we're getting into it a little bit. And if by grace. So God's calling comes from his own foreknowledge. I'm going to turn to Romans 8 and 29. Uh, so we're already in Romans 9. So just one chapter back. 8, 29. So what are we seeing here? Listen to this. For those God foreknew. So, so get this. And when we're talking about words like foreknown, predestined, election, called, all that, that th- those words stretch back to before the creation of the universe. We should know that. When we talk about the Bible as deep, then this is deep stuff. Because we're talking about things that we could not have known about. There would be no way where there's nothing we could look up, uh, no documentation, uh, no rocks that we could turn over, no ancient civilizations that are available for us to examine. Nothing can tell us this information but God. He's the only one that can tell us what happened here. And that's what we have, and it's revealed to us by means of the Spirit. So anyway, let's get to it. For, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So those he foreknew, what, so when God foreknew certain ones, he chose certain ones out of a number. And the number of, of people is all the saved of all ages. So God knew before he created anything, he knew how many people, if he employed this plan, that he had to bring many sons into glory before time began, before creation. He knew, he already had the foresight to be able to look into all that would happen because of his, what we call, omniscience and to see who would believe in his son and who would not. And out of all the people who would that he knew would believe in his son, he then chose certain ones from that group to be in Israel or to be in the church. It was his choice as to where we would end up. 
and when we would show up in, in human history. God had to choose that. So there it is. For those God foreknew, and he's talking about the church here, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That can't be Israel. That has to be the church. So that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. We might as well read verse 30. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. So there you have good information, good knowledge here to say that God, out, and we call this his foreknowledge. God's foreknowledge deals directly with who God wants to be in his plan at a particular point in time. And he is the master of those choices. We are not. We, we can't affect that. We can't decide when we're going to show up in human history, but God can. So that's the point here to make. So it comes from his foreknowledge, point H in our notes. This calling is not by our choosing, desire, effort, or works. It is by the sovereignty of God. And we could easily say that. You know why? Because we weren't here. Right? <laughs> but it didn't. You could say all you want. Well, it's, it's grace, but we got to do something. We got to show God. No, you can't do anything. God already did it. And the, the choice was a sovereign choice. He didn't ask you. He didn't text you or email you or anything and say, How, what do you think about this? He did it. And it was his sovereign choice. And he did it before time began. He chose us in him before the creation of the world. So it says in Ephesians 1.4. So, um, and we said this is not by the works, as we read with Jacob and Esau, or with Ishmael, like Abraham did a lot of t works. He was like, well, I don't have a son, and you promised me a son. That's the plan, right? So he says, well, Eleazar, no. Uh, Ishmael, no. It has to be Isaac, and God told him that it would be Isaac. So it's important for us to know and see how it works out in these verses. Point I in our notes. This calling is not by our works. It is by the Father's plan. From eternity past, when he planned, chose, and executed this plan. That's how, um, when, it, when he says, and, it's, it, and if by grace, right? That's what we're, here, we're talking about, the calling, right? So then I say in point J, guess what? Else is by grace, salvation. And that's Ephesians 2, 8, 9. So, one point here, let's just make sure we understand this. Ephesians 2, I know we covered this, or we should have if we haven't, but here it is. Ephesians 2a says, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Now, we distinguish the calling by grace uh, and we're distinguishing, we, we made the point that our context in Romans eleven six is talking about the calling by grace. And so, but I want to, want to make sure we understand that salvation is also said to be by grace. So as, as we understand that, we want to make sure we don't think that, okay, then salvation, we are on the scene, we do show up in time. And we have to make decisions about salvation. We already covered that. 
But let me just say, if it's going to be by grace, and salvation is by grace, then the principle is that it cannot be by works. In fact, that's going to be our next phrase. And if by grace, point number two, then it cannot be by or based on works. So how is it that salvation uh, is, it does have to do with us, whereas the sovereign choice of God, well, we can easily say that because we weren't here. So we can't say, oh, yeah, that's by grace. God chose me to be in the church. Yeah, I know. I wasn't here. It's just sovereignly his choice. But when it comes to salvation, we do choose that. Is there any works involved? No, because salvation uh, by grace, the only way you can receive it is by faith. It is through faith, Ephesians 2.8. So, and this is not from yourselves, not the faith, but the salvation that we, are, are, that we have by, by grace, through faith. It's not from ourselves, and it's not by works, so that someone would be able to boast about it, like they did something. Because salvation is not based on our works, it's based on the work of Christ on our behalf. So Christ did all the work necessary in two ways. One, he paid for every sin you would ever commit in your life. Every sin was poured out and judged in the person of Christ. Father did it. And then two, Christ lived a righteous life before the Father. The Father was pleased with the life of Christ on our behalf. So his righteousness is also imputed to us. Right, so we he took our sins, and we receive his righteousness. You can see that whole exchange in Second Corinthians five twenty one. So the thought here then is that yes, salvation is by grace. Yes, you are involved. You are the one that's being saved. By the way, you're the one that's lost. And how did you do it? It is by grace. Now, this is what we've been talking about: grace, and it's through faith. So faith means that you have to look away from yourself. Faith is not looking at yourself. Faith is looking away from yourself and it's looking to Christ. So the fact that faith looks to Christ and his works, we are, that means we're not looking at ourselves in our works. Because people do try to approach salvation based on their works. They really do. They're earnest. They're sincere. But as we always would have to say, they are sincerely wrong because they didn't read the scriptures around uh, this important principle. And that is, if, if it's by grace, then it cannot be based on works. And it's important that we adhere to that. So the fact that salvation, we, we are involved, but we make a decision by faith. It's a non-meritorious decision, and it's the only way that we can receive salvation. We can't receive it by faith plus anything, faith plus uh, good behavior, faith plus joining a church, faith plus uh, being moral, faith plus, and we could go down the list of things, uh, faith plus uh, raising your hand and telling God that you're, gonna, you're never going to sin again, faith plus uh, promising God is going to live a life that for him for, from henceforth, from now on, you're going to do what's right, a turnover, a new leave, or it's faith plus nothing. Because the work 
that God needs to save you has already been done by the Lord Jesus Christ. If you add any works to that, you're, you're literally rejecting the work of Christ on your behalf and saying that uh, you, you would rather take your own or use your own works to recommend you yourself to God. And we, this is an important point to make. So, I mean, not that we haven't made it in the past, but we're on the verse that actually says it. So we want to make sure <laughs> at least we say it. So let's get into point two. We'll get into that a little bit more. So, and if by grace, then it cannot be based on works. First point, if anything, if anything is by grace, there are specific principles that must be followed. After all, it is God's plan and it must be done his way. Now, this is Abraham's illustration in Romans 9, 9. So, we already kind of hinted at this. Romans 9, 9 says, for, for, this is, <clears throat> for this is what the promise was stated. That for, this is what, for this was how the promise was stated. At the appointed time, I will return and Sarah will have a son. Now, I'm cutting through a lot of the things that happened with Abraham and Sarah. But what we come to understand is they got to a point where they finally were exhausted from all the works they were trying to do to bring God's plan to a reality. In other words, Sarah would have a son. Well, Sarah got old. After a while, she was not past. She, first, she would never had any kids. But then she was too old to have kids. And finally, God says, okay, Sarah, it's time. So now we already looked at this when we were in Romans 9, and we saw that when God told them this, Sarah just laughed. She thought it was funny. She just It was comical to her. And then Abraham fell on his face and laughed. And God, I mean, God says, yeah, this time next year, you're going to have a son. Abraham was 99, and Sarah was 90. Having a son <laughs> was not something that was... Uh, in their future as far as they were concerned but as far as God was concerned it was so that is what happened it was not their choice it was God's choice his sovereign choice so this is why why we're talking about Abraham J Isaac and Jacob because this is how God is telling us about the call and he's still dealing with uh, Israel's thinking so it must be done God's way. We can't do it our way. That's why it says, not of our works, lest any man should boast. It's all about God. Point B. If, the if-then reasoning, right? This is an if by grace, then it cannot be based on works. The if-then is a, it was, it is a debater's technique. Right? We could, this is my, these are my own words. If, the if-then reasoning. And this is why when Paul uses this, if one thing is true, then it follows that the other thing must also be true. This is the reasoning, right? So if it is by grace, then it cannot be based on works. So it just stands to reason, right? That's This is the logic that Paul is helping us to, to understand. He's using that logic to teach us 
that if something is by grace, and we know it cannot be based on works, then it, logically speaking, we can't have works and expect it, that it's grace, and we can't have grace and expect that it, expect that it would be works. So the two are what we would call mutually exclusive, meaning the one excludes the other. So if you got grace, then you can't have works. And if you got works, then you can't have grace. And that, that is the reasoning Paul is using here. He's trying to help us understand that grace excludes works. That takes us right into the next point. It excludes it. So I say be careful when it comes to salvation by grace. Why? Now, of course, as we're going to see, a lot of people, and if you don't know this already, then I, I'm sorry uh, then I have to say it again, but a lot of people approach salvation based on their works, based on their behavior, their goodness. Their, what they say, oh, well, I'm, good. I'm a good person. So therefore, God, you, by saving me, you're doing a great thing because you're getting a good person. I'm a good person. They, they look at themselves as worthy somehow of receiving salvation. And, you know, when people are working and they're, they're doing, even if you go to a job and you work hard, you expect to be paid. You know, at the end of the week, you, you don't walk up thinking, well, you know, um, if you feel like paying me, it's all right. I mean, it's all right with me. Or what? No, you walk up with an expectation that not only should I be paid, but you owe me. God, <laughs> this is what people do when they work and they attribute their works as though this is something God must respect for their salvation. When God has already put aside all that, and he said, no, um, my son is the only one I accept as the, the kind of works that would satisfy me, not yours. So if, if God is doing, if the salvation is by grace, remember, it's important when we think about this because now we do have, we can muck it up by, by getting in here and, and trying to uh, feel like we're good enough or maybe some church influence told us that we had to, to have good works or 10 steps to get saved and one, do this, two, do that, three, do the other, and, and on and on. Before you know it, we got to 10 and then we say, oh, I'm saved, and the whole church claps, and we're all happy, except God is not happy. And this is the same thing Israel said, right? They said, we'll just keep the law, God, you will respect us. You just, we'll just keep the law, and you will have to tell us that we're justified. And God says, no, by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in my sight. That's Romans 3.20. So no, God will not respect that. So you got to be careful here. Because if you approach God based on your works, he will reject you, as we saw. Because that is not believing or trusting, looking away from yourself and trusting in the Son. That is trusting in your own good works. And that's Ephesians 2.9, which says, Not of works, lest any man should boast. Or Titus Titus 3, this is another famous verse, verse 5. He saved us. And this, 
we don't even have to read the whole verse, but just so you get the whole point here. He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done. Now, righteous things we do could be after salvation, because we can't even do any righteous works before salvation, because there's none righteous, not even one. But after salvation, he saved us, not because of righteous things we have done. In other words, it doesn't matter what you do after salvation. Even if you do righteous works, they don't bear on your salvation. Your salvation is not based on the righteous works that you do after you're saved. So that's hope. You might say, well, why are we saying that? Well, we're saying that because some people think after they're saved, they believe the salvation is by grace, but they think they must maintain it now. That they got to do works in order for God to continue to accept them. He says, well, I'm saved, yes. But if I want to keep being saved, I better be following what the Bible says, and I better do what God says, or else I won't have my salvation. No, Paul is saying, your salvation is not based on righteous things we have done, but it's on his mercy. He saved us through the washing and rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior. So he's talking about the work of God, not the work that we do. We don't maintain salvation. God is the one who keeps us saved, right? Well, saved is not something that is uh, in flux, right? It, it is permanent. The moment you're saved, it's permanent. So, point D in our notes, we're getting through it. So, point D says, it may be easier to conclude that there was nothing we could do about our election in Christ since we were not there when it happened. So in Ephesians 1, 4, I, I should turn to this, even though I quoted it like a hundred times. But let's turn to it just to be sure. Ephesians 1, 4, For he chose us in him. Now this is important. You might say, well, what do you mean? All right. So 1, 3 says, Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him. When did he do this now? Before the creation of the world. Where were we when he did this? We, weren't, we didn't exist yet. But we did exist in the mind of God. We didn't physically exist. But God knew we would. Otherwise, he couldn't have chose us. He did choose us. And we already talked about how that happened through foreknowledge. So that's important to note, right? Now, of course, most people, if you say, well, is that by works? No, we weren't around then. And they understand that. They, I think most people will say, okay, well, so I wasn't, I wasn't on the scene. My feet, my boots weren't on the ground. So, of course, I get that. But when it comes to salvation, watch out. People are like, I am here now, and God, you want me to be saved? All right, let me get busy working. Well, God is saying, hold on, hold on. Works are not the issue here. My son is the issue, the Lord Jesus Christ. So just giving you some, the, the Greek uh, for works is aragon. This is point E. What does it mean, simple work? Toil, uh, as an effort or occupation, by implication, an act, deed. Doing labor, work, etc. Strong it comes from strong. My definition, what are works? Contextually, because our definitions need to fit what the writer is talking about. 
anything we can do by which to recommend ourselves to God, right? So that's, but now what can we do? What can we do to recommend ourselves to God? Well, we already know. Uh, I'm going to read it, Romans 3, 9 through 12. So it says, uh, what shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Not at all. For we already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all, all under the power of sin. So no one can say anything when it comes to God because this is the condition that we're born in. We didn't have a choice in this matter. We we're born in sin. Verse 10, as it is written, it's in the Old Testament too, there is no one righteous, not even one. So works would be to tell God that we are somehow righteous, that we are, we can produce some good that you will, uh, uh, you know, put your stamp of approval on. And the answer is no, that's not true. None righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. And if you're not sure who he's talking about, he's talking about all of us, the human race and Adam, just to be sure. I, I hate to say these things, but it's because people are, you know, they're, they're a little sensitive when it comes to, you you know, especially these next verses that talk about their feet are, are swift to, to shed blood, cursing and bitterness, you know, all this. It's tough talk, but God is doing it to, to slap us into, so we wake up and shake our head and realize, no, there's nothing we can do for salvation. That's the condition we're born in. So just to note, since we're talking about that, we're talking about birth, let's talk about the last judgment. Revelation 20 is our text. Revelation 20, and just verses 12 and 13. So we're going to see the same word, ergon, or works here, because here, 12, and I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. This is at the very end of human history. Right? The books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged. It's now here. This according to what they had done. Right? This is, this is uh, the word, ergon, right? as recorded in the books. It is not the word for sin, which is harmartia. This is the word ergon. Why, why would sin not be here at the last judgment? God's going to open the books and he's going to judge us, but not according to our sins. Why? Because sins were already judged in Christ. He's not going to judge for you. There's no such thing as double jeopardy with God. Right? If he already judged all of our sins in Christ, we're not going to stand judgment for him. Or else, what is that to say? Christ didn't do a good job. No, he did a good job. But what about our works? What we are trying to use. And these are all people who, whose names are not written in a book of life. The Lamb's book of life. So that means that Christ's righteousness, they didn't, you know how we talked about Christ died for their sins and we receive his righteousness, but after we believe. So they didn't believe. So um, verse 13, the sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. This is every place where dead people, are, people who have departed, are, um, are housed or stored or, or, or where they, God has held them and <laughs> stored. 
So each person was judged according to what they had done. So guess what? There's that word, ergon, as well. They're judged according to their works, to what they had done. So it's not about sins, but these are things that they are doing to recommend themselves to God. So we should know that is not going to fly. Not with God. So, um, well, we should know, verse G, point G in our notes, we should know that, and this is a quote from Isaiah 64, 6, all of us have become like one who's unclean. We already read that in Romans 3, where it says there's none righteous and all that stuff, right? And all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. So God is saying what, what it feels like to him, what it seems like to him when we try to bring him righteous acts, filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf and like the wind, our sins have swept us away. Why do we have these righteous, unrighteous acts that we have? That Even though our sins are paid, but what the good we try to do to recommend ourselves to God, even that is tainted by the sinful nature that we are born with. Now, we may not understand it. We could say, oh, well, yeah, anything I've done that's bad, God, you forgive me for that? Sure, good. But what about the works? Well, Christ's righteousness, his righteousness is imputed to us to cover us for that. So that's what's important. So we got, we're just closing in on these last few points here. So, so stay, stay with me here. If, so this is, this is the whole phrase. And if by grace, then it cannot be based on works. If it were, grace would no longer be grace. Wow. This is why I say this verse is more, not just a verse, but it is, it is a principle. It is like Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. It's a principle. It tells us how we're saved, the basis upon which we're saved, and, and how even if we go down the road and try to do things that are wrong, Ephesians 2, 8, 9 covers that as well. Not, a, not by works, a gift of God, not of yourselves. It's all in there. It's by grace through faith. So if it were, grace would no longer be grace. So point A is, if it were, if I'm, I'm thinking about that phrase, but it is not the case, because work, grace means that works are excluded. The case, right, it's not the case. Please keep with the reasoning of the context. If you just read the verse, I think it is pretty self-explanatory. You could figure it out that if you got grace, don't bring works. If you got works, well, then you're excluding grace. Let's just think about that for a minute. Point B, if God's calling was by works, if it was, then it is not by grace. Now, um, God's calling is not by our works, obviously, because we weren't there <laughs> when God called us to be in the church. If we are confused about this point, God is not. Remember, I gave you two scenarios about calling. One was sovereign grace, where he chose us in Christ. He chose us to be in the church, or he chose certain ones to be in Israel. It's his sovereign choice to do that, right? But then salvation is by grace, which is 
where we have eternal life, we're saved, you know, we're born again, all that happens in salvation, but it happens upon us believing in Jesus Christ. So those are two things when it comes to that that are grace. The Bible says that are by grace. One is Romans eleven six, and the other one's Ephesians two eight nine. There are two clear verses that talk about our salvation and our calling. I hope we are not confused about that, because I say God is certainly not. Point C. If we attempt to receive something by works, i.e., salvation, that is then we are not receiving the salvation which is by grace. And there are people who have a salvation and it does depend on their works. They'll tell you, unless I do thus and so, then I don't think I would be saved. Or some people will say, unless I maintain my salvation, unless I I keep my salvation by the works that I've been doing, then that's not by grace. That's not a salvation which is by grace. If it's by grace, it's free. It doesn't cost us anything. And God is not saying, well, pay me money. And He's when it says cost us, when it says it's free, it's a free gift, it means we don't have to do anything for it. Literally, for him to, for him to tell us that it is not of ourselves, that it's a gift of God, yeah, it's, it's a gift. It's nothing that we have to do to be saved eternally. Nothing. I mean, I don't know how you come away from those verses thinking, well, okay, God, I heard what you said, but I'm still going to do the best I can to show you that I'm... No, you don't need to... Because faith looks away from ourselves to Christ and his work. If God, as, as we used to say, if we get to the pearly gates and Peter's there, and he says, why should we let you in? And you start going down the road. You know, I was this and I was that. I was a deacon in the choir. And I was, I gave, I tithed. I did all these things, God. So therefore, I prove to you that I was on your side, that I'm for you. Then no, Peter's not going to let you in. Silly example. I'm sorry to use it. But, but if you say, I'm here because of what Christ did on my behalf. And that's it. There's nothing that you could even bring up. If you just want to talk about you was lost, that's what you should, I was lost and born in sin, but Christ died for me and there was a plan of salvation for me and all I did was put my trust in the work of Christ on my behalf. That's about all we can say. Because if we say anything else, then it's of ourselves. It's, it's what we're trying to do to persuade God to let us in based on our behavior, our morality, or you, you go down the road of all the things that people may choose. It is not of ourselves. It's a gift. We didn't do anything to earn it. We don't deserve it. It is free. Point D. Even though our subject is God's sovereign grace... That's what the subject is in Romans eleven six. Just know the principles of grace do not change. In other words, what what are the same principles we saw them in Romans nine, uh, where the where the twins were uh, good or bad? God made His choice, and that was the end of it. Didn't have to do with well, I chose 
Jacob because he was a good person, or I chose Esau because he was a good person. They weren't even born yet. It wasn't based on them. It was based on God's choice. I don't know how you could read that any other way. It's based on those verses. Right? So it does not change the principles about grace. Right, so point E, we're coming to a close here. If someone attempts to receive salvation by works, they do well. They, quote, will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. That's John 3.36, the last half of it. <clears throat> it talks about whoever be believes in Christ will have eternal life. Or, Whoever, let's read it. Let's read it. I don't want to uh, say it. There's so many ways to look at this. But here, 336. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. That's pretty straightforward. But whoever rejects the Son... So I copied this last piece here. Will not see life for God's wrath remains on him. But I spoke about it in the context of, well, that means they brought works. So why would they reject the Son? Because they don't believe that Jesus is the Christ. But when they don't believe that Jesus is the Christ, Son of the living God, then that means they're going to have to stand on their own two feet before God, a righteous, holy God. They're going to have to stand before him where he has already made provision for them and they rejected that provision. Who's, what is the provision? The Son of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if they reject that Son, then they have to stand on their own two feet. And what are they standing on? Well, we go right, right back to Revelation 20, 12 and 13. And the, I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were open, and, the book, and, and they were judged, every one of them, according to their works. Uh, the sea gave up the dead, and so forth. And they were judged according to their works. That's what they're going to be judged by. Why are they standing there? It's because they rejected the Son, and now they've got to stand on their own two feet, as it were. Last thought here. And it's really not the last thought. There's much more that could be said. But grace is God's way. And it maintains His righteousness and his dealing with fallen man. That's what one thing, we don't see it from God's perspective. We think, well, God, I'm pretty liberal about this, and I can think of a lot of ways I can be saved, but God is saying, no, there's just one way, and that is through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why he just says, simply put, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. These things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing in him, you will have life in his name. For by grace are you saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. We are saved not by righteous things we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. So these are things that are clear in the scriptures, this whole line of understanding when it comes to salvation or our calling, the fact that we are, we landed in the church. How do we land in the church? God chose us to be here. He chose us to be in Christ. 
before creation. So this is going to be a point where we stop and we pause and see if there are any questions out there, any thoughts as we uh, sort of go through uh, this. Well, we have a little opportunity here. It's, we have a few minutes, so I will open the floor for any thoughts, uh, and then we'll close. The floor is open. Okay, hold on. Hold on, let me get you. All right, go right ahead, Bill. Yeah, I had one thought when they were speaking about the, uh, the, the full number of the Gentiles coming in. Yes. Uh, and, of course, we don't know what that number is and what that number will be. And so you believe the rapture will occur right at that point, or will occur the full number of the yeah, according to this, there is a number, right? Romans eleven twenty five. I do not want you to be ignorant about this mystery, right? Brothers and sisters, so that you may not be conceited. Israel is experienced a hardening in part. That's until the full number of Gentiles, of the Gentiles, has come in. So I always ask the question, I will when I get there as well, come in to what, right? So the full number of Gentiles comes into the church because that's what's going on right now so once that number is done and the full number is complete and in this way right all israel will be saved so what does he mean the church will be over god has completed the full number of all the many sons that he wanted to bring in the glory and then after that all Israel will be saved. So when we think about that point, we're saying that that God, like Paul is understanding, and he's respecting the church age. He's not saying, well, where's Israel? He's saying, I'm part of the church. I'm part of God's call. And he's saying that after it's over, once the full number of the church is complete, his body, then all Israel will be saved. And this is what he says, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them. Who's them? Israel. When I take away their sins. Notice they're not us. As far as the gospel is concerned, they, who's they? Israel, are enemies for your sake. Well, yeah. They don't believe the gospel. But as far as the election is concerned, they are loved on account of the patriarchs. So the number... Uh, of what the church is, we don't know what that is. There is no way that we could possibly, because that number stretches from any believer from Pentecost to the rapture. God chose, but God knows what the number is. He knew what the number was before creation of the world because he had to choose them in this age. So there's nobody who's in this age who's saved and not in the church. If you're saved, you're automatically in the church. So God's choosing you or selecting you to be in this particular age is what he did in order to get you to be baptized into the body of Christ. Yeah. I'll pause, Bill. Yeah. Okay. So when he says all Israel will be saved, 
He doesn't quite mention the rapture or anything. He just says at that point, all oh, Israel will be saved. But he's referring to not the fact that all oh, Israel will be saved, or just the fact that it'll go back to Israel being God's mouthpiece. Yeah, well, when he says, and in this way, what he's saying is, is that the mystery is that Israel was put on pause and Israel thinks that, well, they were abandoned because they were put on pause, that God is going to stop the program with Israel and now he's going to pick it up with the church. So Israel is like, wait a minute, how can you do that? You can't do that. That's a foul. You can't, you're breaking your word. You told us you would not. But God is saying the church was a mystery was not known it was hidden god it was not a it was it is not a deviation from god's plan it is it is god's plan <laughs> but nobody knew israel was going to do this it is like israel went to sleep during this age and is going to wake up later after the, the church is gone and they will resume for from whatever they were doing they're going to continue to do and it's going to be that's how god's going to save israel not going to save him in this age. He's going to save him in the next. That's what he's saying here. So when he's talking about the, the, this is when I take away their sins. That's the new covenant. Well, we're under the new covenant now, right? We don't believe that uh, Christ didn't come yet. We believe that he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But Israel doesn't believe that. So now some some in Israel, some some Jews do believe that. We don't want to say they they don't some do but the leadership of israel just like if you go to israel right now they're not under christ right they don't believe in christ the leadership there the religious leadership there they don't believe in christ they think christ is still yet to come for them for for, for the first time so that's the thought no we don't know what the number is going to be exactly i don't think there's any way to calculate that except that God already knows what that is. And that's how that whole thing works. That's why he says, and in this way, all Israel will be saved. Why is he saying that? Because remember, we've been talking about Israel up to this whole time and how uh, it all works out. We're going to get to all these verses in between as we go. I'll pause. So... So it's not that all Israel will be saved, it's just that the provision will be there for salvation. Yeah, no. So the provision is already there. I mean, they just don't say saved because they just don't really just save them whether they believe or not. No, it has it has to do with them believing. So so you're right. In this in this way, Israel all Israel will be saved. So all Israel is in the tribulation, when we read Revelation uh, 12, right? 12,000 from this tribe, 12,000 from that tribe, 12,000 from the other tribe. That's Revelation chapter 7. So when he says all Israel will be saved, he's talking about the nation Israel. They will come together again under Christ, and it will be the nation Israel. The tribes will be restored. And how is he going to do it? He's going to turn. He's not going to just save them by happenstance. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob. So Jacob was like, um, he, he is, God changed the name of Jacob to Israel. He's using that to say 
that he will turn godliness godlessness away from Jacob. In other words, right now they're uh, rejecting who Christ is, but then they will believe and Jacob will turn to Israel. He's using that to help us understand how Israel will be saved. How is he going to do it? He's going to turn godlessness away from, away from Jacob, just like he did when Jacob was in the wilderness. Right? He wrestled with God and then he prevailed and then what would happen? Or what did happen is that uh, Jacob, God then changed his name from Jacob to Israel. So, um, so it's a way, well, they got to believe in Christ. And we read in Revelation 12 where it says they, not only uh, there's a remnant that would be saved who keep uh, the commandments, the law, they're under the law, and they have the testimony of Jesus. So we know they don't just believe, they don't just come and say, okay, you're Israel again, and we're just like they were before, racially speaking. They have in the genes of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. No, they will have to come through the door of salvation. That is through the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, absolutely. Other thoughts out there? Doug, I did have one. Um, on back to work, I am understanding what you're saying and, and in agreement that you know, work by salvation is not the not what we are supposed to do. But do you believe that maybe works are actually can and should be as a byproduct of the work that the Lord's doing in us? Sure, sure. I I would think yeah. So so it's almost like. A person might say, um, how how can, hold on a sec, somebody's trying to hit me. So it's almost like a person would say, um, if a person is born, then they should grow up. Yeah, we could say that. And, and that is true. Um, salvation is free. But that's what we have to understand, that salvation is free. It does not depend on the works. Because the works may vary. And what we find in the scripture is some people don't have works. So if they don't have works, then it, are they? can they be saved possibly? Is it possible that if a person doesn't have any works, that they, can they be saved? That's a question. And the answer is yes. <laughs> yes, they can. Because salvation is not of works, lest any man should boast. Or it is not of ourselves. It's a free gift. So, so all I'm doing is making sure we separate that out in our minds, right? Before we talk about the expectation that God does have for us to do good works. And the answer is yes, he does have an expectation that we grow up in Christ, that we do good works, right? All those things are so. However, they don't have anything to do with our salvation, not by righteous things we have done but according to his mercy. So as long as we separate that out, because for us it might seem like, well, it doesn't seem like a big deal, but to God, remember that last point, is that he maintains his righteous dealings with human beings, with man. Because if he accepts righteousness on one person's part and he doesn't on another, then, that's, uh, then God is not consistent in the way he handles salvation. So he condemned all so that he could have mercy on all of us. So yes, yes, God does have expectation 
for us to grow up. And part of that growth is that we do some good works. I mean, yes. But, but again, they don't bear or are not based on our salvation. So, the free, so we, we should celebrate the freeness of salvation. And then we should talk about, after that, what it means to grow up in Christ and to, to live according to his standards and to function in this life on the ground, on the battlefield, according to God's uh, desires for us to live here. So yeah, all of that's true. We just don't want to put the cart before the horse. Hope that answers your, your question. Thank you. It makes perfect sense. All right. So, other thoughts out there? Good questions. Yes, this is me again. Uh, I remember we talked about this a while ago about the Book of Life. Um, when I think it was Exodus, when the Lord called them different people, and I believe Moses said that the, the people that some will be blotted out of the Book of Life. Yeah. In human history, whatever, I mean, and I know you went to Revelation 20 also about that. Those whose names were not found written in the Book of Life, they were just according to their works. Yes. So is that more of a detail of what we talked about this uh, today in Revelation 20? So what you're, yeah, so what Dave is bringing up is there are a couple, there's a few passages. If you look up, the book of life in, in the Bible. You're going to find there's two ways of thinking about the book of life. Uh, book of life, in the, well, the, the Exodus passage is uh, where, God, where the, the, the first one is where the Israelites were in the desert and uh, Moses went up into the mount to receive the Ten Commandments. But they didn't know that. They just know he went into the mountain. And then they got distracted, and, and they were waiting for so long. And they, they were like, you know what? He's not coming back. We're just going to have to make our own God. And they made the golden calf. And when they did that, then uh, Moses came down and saw them reveling and partying. And, and in front of, you know, it was just a terrible scene. And that's when he broke the commandments. And, and, uh, and so God said, I'm going to destroy these people. And Moses was like, no, God, don't do that. Uh, don't blot them out of, of your book. So destroying people or blotting people out of the book was uh, akin to physical death. God was going to discipline them <laughs> with death. He was, going, he was going to take them out of this life. That was what God was considering, blotting them out. So and then there's another passage in Psalms where David is prophesying about the Lord Jesus Christ coming and he's talking and he understands that he's going to be persecuted by the Jews and he's like well Lord blot them out of your book he's David is saying please blot them out of your book so the book of life in the old testament now everybody's not in the book of life in this sense this is the professed people of God that are in the book of life so they're the ones that God has in this world to carry forward his gospel, his ways, right? This is, this is how we see the book of life. But, also, but at the end of human history, we don't have that. The book of life, it's already set. Who's in the book of life is 
only the people who believed in Christ at the last judgment. Human history is over at this point. There is no professed people of God. It's only those who believed in Christ and those who haven't. So the, when we see it from that perspective, um, we, we spend a lot of time, and we probably need to take a little more time on this, but yes, there are two ways to look at the book of life. And the scripture tells us and determines which is which. So that's how, that's how we know what is being said by the context. So in... And there are other scriptures on the book of life. And, you know, I can, I can reference you. I know there's something I've written on this, and I can point you to it. I can shoot it over to you if you want a, uh, a refresher on that. Um, I, I can do that. Dave, you there? But I see where... Yeah, thanks for that. Yeah, thanks for that. Because I was looking, I was reading... And also going back to Genesis, when he put the flaming sherbet, you know, put flaming he puts a sherbet to actually guard the book of life so he will live forever. Yeah, that that's the tree of life, not the book of life. But but yeah, right, I mean right, so right. so so what we wanna let me send you that. I see our time is uh sort of gone <laughs> so okay so we, we okay. Go, we'll end but we'll we'll pick up this thought if you want we can certainly pick it up and let's do it and let's thoroughly cover it next time we'll get the the scriptures before us and we'll uh take our time right now we're going to have to end but good thoughts good questions i appreciate them uh next time i'll leave a little more time but let's bow our heads as we close. Thank you, Father, for this opportunity we've had to focus our attention on your word. We thank you that you've given us salvation. Uh, what well, We could not have done this for ourselves. We could not measure up to, uh, to the righteous standard that you require. So we thank you, Father, for your grace. We thank you for your mercy and uh, as we think about our calling as well, we feel privileged and we thank you for the honor of choosing us to be in this particular age in Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. 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 Amen.